dogs. Disobedient dogs, not so cute. If you've ever dealt with a dog that you really adore, you're such a cute little puppy. And as that puppy grew, it didn't get trained or disciplined. It just decided to do whatever it wanted to do. Anybody ever been there? Just say amen if you know what I'm talking about. Have you ever gone to somebody's house where their adorable dog wasn't trained and doesn't obey? It can be stressful. You all know I didn't come to talk about dogs today, right? Today, as we open Colossians 3, that's your hint. You can go ahead and start flipping through the pages. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and uh, Mike will make sure that you get one. Stick your hand up in the air because you want to have God's Word in your hand to be able to read this. But we're in, uh, we're in Colossians 3. And as we're looking at Colossians 3, we come to a very short but profound verse in verse 20. Children, Obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. And as we have been walking through this, we're taking, it's going to take us six weeks to get through uh, two verses or four verses here. Uh, because as I was putting this together, there was far too much to be able to get it in today as I had hoped. So while we bumped it forward from last week, we're going to bump it forward again. We're going to get started in it today. We're going to focus in heavily on this children obey your parents and everything verse. And then next week we'll talk about fathers do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. So you got to come back. You're going to have to come back and, and finish this up. As we look at this verse, there are a couple of important things that are going to jump out to us. And we're going to start with this core reality. The lessons of childhood are essential to the Christ-centered life. The lessons of childhood are essential to the Christ-centered life. Say amen if you want to live a Christ-centered life. Amen. Okay, Then you've got to do it the way a child would. We have to go there. We have to get that attitude. We have to get that mentality. And then we have to apply that to where we are in our lives. I didn't make this up. This is what Jesus said. We're going to talk about it in a little bit here. But everybody read that core reality with me together. The lessons of childhood are essential to the Christ-centered life. Listen, as we're going through this, Paul commands us to obey our parents. Now, this is an interesting dynamic. As we see this particular verse, raise your hand right now if you are under 18. One, two, three. That's, that's about it, right? That's probably about what was going on in the Colossian church as Paul sent this letter to them. And they're reading these letters aloud in church. This is how the scripture got passed around. So he sent this letter to the Colossian church and they're dealing with, uh, with these issues. And so much of this is, is you know, kind of grown up stuff, right? You're talking about the centrality and supremacy of Christ. You're talking about him as the central figure of the universe and the redemption that we have in Christ. Because Christ is everything, and he has chosen to die for us. That he made us right with God if we will simply accept that gift. He's purchased the gift for us with his death on the cross. He's purchased that forgiveness so that we can be clean. We can start all over again as newborns. Hmm, might be a child theme here. As newborns in a relationship with God for which we were created in the beginning. And because of what Jesus did, we're able to 
to take hold of that and to die with him on the cross and to live his resurrection life. Now that's kind of heady stuff, right? And then he rolls into this is what it looks like. If you do this, you are, you are in Christ. If you have accepted this truth, if you believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead, and if you confess with your mouth that he is your Lord, then you'll be saved. That's what Paul told the Roman church. Well, now, if that is you, he's saying, look, you are a dearly loved child of God. You are God's chosen people. Because you are that, you're not who you used to be. Every single one of us was separated from God by sin. Every one of us. Every single one of us, right? Everyone. Everybody say everyone. Everyone separated from God by our sin. But because we are in Christ, now we can become the children of God. As the children of God, there's no place in our lives for that old dead stuff anymore. That doesn't fit us. It doesn't belong. It's like an old set of clothes that just, you know, how many of you guys have clothes from the 80s still at home? Anybody? I see the smiles. I know some of you do and you don't want to admit it, right? Okay. Give them to Rachel if you want. Because the, the 80s are great, right? Just, just, I just want to make sure you're paying attention. You know, every once in a while, it, listen, Rachel got a little less sleep, a little less coffee, so i got to pick on her a little bit. Because there are some other people that didn't get their coffee, and if I pick on them, they're going to get feisty. Any, anyway, as we get going here... Uh, if you have old clothes from the 80s, I say everything comes back around again, right? Only for teenagers. It's not going to ever work for you again. Okay? You don't look like you did when you were 17. Amen? Right? Okay? I used to wear my hair longer. That ain't going to happen. Right? Look like Gallagher. And if you speak of 80s references, how many of you remember Gallagher? I'm going to smash a watermelon up here. So as, as you look at those old clothes, they don't suit you anymore. That's not who you are. They don't fit right. They don't look right. Probably they got holes in them. Especially from the 80s because you bought them with holes in them in the first place. But as you're looking at... What? You just want more clothes, Rachel? Rachel wants more, all your 80s clothes. Everything else. As you have those old clothes, you can put them in a box. You can get rid of them. But you can't wear those again. You can give them to your kids for 80s night at the school, but you can't wear those again. You can't wear those again. I'm just telling you. Don't do it. The same thing is true of our old lives. That's who we used to be. It doesn't fit us anymore. That life has holes in it. And it doesn't belong. Get rid of it. Box it up. Don't give it to Rachel. She doesn't want your old life. Okay? <laughs> Every time you look down, it's coming again. It's tough. Shelly tells me I'm cut off. I'm, yeah. I've reached my limit. Who's next? All right. Stacy, eye contact. All right. Stacy's next. <clears throat> as, we, um, as we go through this, this process of taking off our old clothes and putting on our new clothes, they don't look the same. As a Christ follower, as a, a dearly loved child of God, dead to your old self and raised to a new life in Christ, hidden with Christ with God, so that your hope of glory is Christ in you. 
there is a specific look that we wear. And as Paul talks about these relationships, that's our look, that's our style. We put on new clothes that look like Jesus, not sandals and robes, but attitudes and behaviors. And we reflect Christ, first and foremost, to one another in our families. As, as Paul writes to the Colossian church in Colossians 3, he's giving these illustrations of what the Christ-centered life looks like in relationships, where the rubber meets the road. When you put on your new clothes and you dress for success as a Christian, it shows up in your marriage. It shows up in your parenting. It shows up in your obedience as a child. It shows up in your work relationships. That's, that's still coming. But as we walk through this, there are some very, very important lessons we have to learn. We learned about a mutual voluntary submission among equals when we talked about marriages. And as we talk about the parent-child relationship, we're no longer talking about equals. Equal in value in that we are all created in the image of God. But how many of you recognize parents and children are not peers? Everybody, I see some nodding, right? Parents and children are not peers. Say that with me. Parents and children are not peers. I'm not here to be your buddy. I'm not here to be your pal. Even if I call you buddy or pal. That's not my primary role. My role to my children is to be a father. And occasionally, smile if you know I'm telling the truth here. Occasionally as parents we have to remind our children that that's our role. Our children have the responsibility, commanded by God, to obey their parents. Parents say amen. amen. Do you realize, however, your, parent, your children don't bear that responsibility alone. Parents, we bear the responsibility to teach them how to do that. Now say amen. amen. All right? That's a little harder work. As we deal with... All of this family stuff, some of you right now are thinking, man, I don't have any kids. Why are you talking to me? But you all have been children, right? You've all been born, therefore you all have parents. More importantly, there's a principle behind all of this that God is trying to teach us. Just as when we look at the Old Testament law, I'm not living in Canaan and I'm not Jewish. Why in the world do I care about that? Because there's a principle behind it that God is using to teach us, to prepare us for heaven, to prepare us for now, to make us his. The same thing is true here. As we deal with, as we deal with this idea of children and parents, it's crucial for us to understand that it's bigger than that. Paul commands children to obey their parents, not merely that they may be well-behaved, but so that they may be well-discipled. Paul commands children to obey their parents, not merely so that they may be well-behaved, but so that they may be well-discipled. Now, I mentioned earlier that probably the dynamic in Colossae was very much like here, where in the great gathering, it was mostly adults and some children. Now, in all likelihood, in ancient times in, in Colossae, if it's like other synagogues, synagogues, and we assume that it would be, the children would be in the gathering for the most part. And while 
there are many settings where the children and women would learn separately. That's not what we see in the New Testament church very often. The children and women are liberated in Christianity and come together in the gathering, which is sort of foreign to much of the culture at that time. So as they're together learning with the men, there's an equality. And the letters from Paul are being read to men, women, children, the aged and the infant alike. Most of this, now you know this, right? Most of this is going over a kid's head. What happens when stuff goes over a kid's head for a few minutes? Stacy, you got an answer? Huh? I hadn't picked on her yet and I said I would. They stop listening. They start to check out. That's what happens to me, by the way. If I'm not getting it for a while, pretty soon I'm thinking about anything else except for that. Okay, so a, a good teacher kind of recognizes that zoned out look. Uh, and I know Tom Palin's back there saying amen. I saw it on Zyger's face every day. Right? <laughs> they kind of recognize that zoned out look and occasionally will come up and swat the desk with a stick. Maybe doesn't everybody do that? Right? Maybe that's just Tom. Try to engage to get their attention. Like maybe picking on somebody in the, in the crowd here. To ask questions. To do something to connect. So Paul now is, is trying to get the kids' attention too. Not as a ploy, but he's saying, hey, this is for everybody. Children, obey your parents. Whoa, hey. Children, he's talking to me, right? Now as, as we look at this children concept... This is not the same as the Old Testament command that we should honor our father and mother. Related, not the same. The, kind, the concept of honoring one's father and mother is to recognize with gratitude the debt that is owed to them. We owe them respect. And it had a specific connotation in Jewish culture of a financial responsibility for our parents as they grow older. That's something that God commands of us to take care of, to honor and to respect our parents throughout our lives that never changes here in this context as Paul is speaking in Greek or writing in Greek and he's communicating to these folks that uh, that our children are to obey the parents the connotation here is dependent children all right so all of you folks are thinking ah, you know I'm 48 years old I gotta go obey my mom and dad yes and no honor but when we grow up, when we get to be teenagers, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, but teenagers have a tendency to rebel sometimes, right? Anybody go through that? Any parents go through teenagers in rebellion? I'm here to tell you that is good. It is okay. It's healthy. Maybe rebellion is a strong word. But we're designed to grow up, to cut the apron strings. As we get older, it doesn't mean that we stop obeying our parents. We recognize that we're, when we are dependents in their home, there is a gratitude that should come with that. There is always a gratitude that honors them throughout their lives. However, as we become adults, we establish a new family, a new normal. So it's not okay, grown-ups, to, when you have a struggle in your marriage, to go running home to mommy. Mommy, fix this for me. Step up. That doesn't mean turn aside advice. Listen to the wisdom of the aged. Mom. <laughs> As we go through life, our parents still have a lot to offer us. 
And we have a lot to be thankful for. But they're no longer calling the shots in your home because they've done that and raised you and trained you. Parents, your job is not to raise good children. It's not. Your job is to raise fully functioning, mature adults. That's what we're here to do. Along the way, you're going to have struggles and stumbles. Along the way, those kids are going to make bad decisions. Your job is to bring them back into line so that when they are adults, they've learned what they need to learn to be adults. That doesn't mean just let them run all over you. Then they're a dog untrained. Let's move forward before I start bogging down here. Paul commands children to obey their parents, not merely so that they'll be well-behaved, but so that they will be well-discipled. The obedience of children is not a nicety, it is a necessity. This is a crucial element. The children have to learn to obey, because if they don't obey parents, they're not going to obey anybody else. If they don't learn to respect their parents, they won't respect authority anywhere else. If they don't respect authority, they can't respect God. The unique roles of parent and child give unique insight into our dependence on God and His love for us. I'm not going to rehash that because we saw it last week, but I do want to, uh, I do want to take a look at Colossians 3, 20 and 21, as we've been talking about. And then we're going to bump back to Ephesians 6. <clears throat> In Colossians 3, again, stepping right out of the, the, the doctrinal theological stuff that he uh, put forth in the first couple of chapters, Paul tells us how to behave. Let's back up to, uh, to verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And, <coughs> pardon me. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. That's our focus today. Back up to Ephesians 6. You can go right past Philippians Okay, we're going to the left, back up past Philippians to Ephesians. Ephesians is a parallel letter that Paul wrote, same time, same general vicinity, same traveling companions that are delivering these letters. Uh, some go to Colossae and some veer off to, to Ephesus. <coughs> in this parallel passage in Ephesians chapter 6, we'll start with verse 1. Paul writes, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And he connects it with that Old Testament command, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And then he goes on to talk about slaves and masters, and we'll get to that as we, as we see what Paul is talking about here, there is a uniqueness in each of these roles that is designed to point us to, to the Lord, to give us an illustration of his relationship to his people. 
as we see uh, this dynamic with parents and children, we have to recognize also that Christ followers are called to be like children. Christ followers must be like children, but not all children or all attitudes are worth emulating. Christ followers must be like children, but not all children or all attitudes are worth emulating. Turn, if you would, to Matthew 18.3. Uh, Again, if you're in Ephesians, we're going to back up to the left a little bit. To the first book of the New Testament. get to Matthew 18, 3, you're in the middle of a, a little sit-down Jesus is having, and he's describing the kingdom of heaven in a variety of ways. For context, let's back up to the beginning of the chapter, 18, 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So their, their question probably has a little bit of selfish motive. You know, am I better than John, you know, is he better than Peter? Where do I where do I stand? A lot of us like to know where we stand, don't we? We like to make sure that we're getting our due. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Verse 2, Jesus called a little child and had him stand among them. Brought the kid right right in the center of the conversation. Little object lesson. And he said in verse 3, I tell you the truth. Unless you change and become like little children, depending on your translation, it may say change your mind, turn, repent. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. And he goes on to talk about the importance uh, this is a passage that I would use very strongly in support of Christian education, teaching our kids in Sunday school, raising our children to understand the greatness of the kingdom of God it's important because Jesus himself said so but what he's saying here is look you need to be humble like this kid, not worrying about who the greatest is but recognizing you have a need that only your father can take care of. You see, not every attitude that children have is good. If you're a parent, say amen. Right? But Aaron, is every, every child's attitude good? <laughs> okay. If you are not a parent, you recognize in yourself that your attitude when you were a kid was not always perfect. Except for Stacy. But sometimes we were ungrateful. Sometimes we sought to be first. How often have you ever heard a toddler say, Mine! 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 That's not the attitude that Jesus is talking about here. Children are by nature stubborn, willful, selfish, and sinful. You don't have to teach a kid how to sin, do you? You don't have to teach a kid to do wrong. You have to teach a kid to do right. So... Anne Frank was a little bit off when she said that she believed that people are basically good. No, we're really not. We're basically bad. Now, we learn to survive in society by doing good things. 
But it's only the framework of teaching that pulls us out of our natural selves. Our natural survival of the fittest mentality. Our natural, I'm going to get mine, the heck with you mentality. We've got to get past that. And that comes through discipline. Turn to Psalm 51. Middle of your Bible. <clears throat> Psalm 51 is a psalm of lament and repentance. As King David has been confronted with his sin. This is after he had <clears throat> had an affair with Bathsheba. And he'd been confronted by Nathan the prophet. He'd already faced the facts of his sin. And he's repenting in this. But take a look specifically at verse 5. David writes, Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. I didn't have to learn to be sinful. I wasn't sinful when I got to be two. I was perfect up until then. And then terrible twos set in. And all of a sudden I'm sinful. I didn't become sinful when I was a teenager. I didn't become sinful because I went to the public schools. I didn't become sinful because of the influence of people around me. I was sinful at birth. From the time I was conceived, I had a corruption in me that stained all of my motives. That made me inherently selfish so that I would do my thing instead of God's thing. That's my nature. Got news for you. That's your nature. That precious little baby, that's their nature. That's who we are. And it takes something supernatural to change that. God has given us instruction on how to discipline children and how to discipline ourselves. But if we want to change a nature, it requires a new heart. We find that only in Christ. Christ followers must be like children, but not all, ch all children or all attitudes are worth emulating. Because we are sinful people, the natural state for all of us, apart from sin, is gratitude, intimacy with God, perfection, sinlessness. The problem is none of us have that reality because we've all been stained by sin. So it is natural when we see a child beginning to grow that they are going to have a natural affection for their parents. Right? They bond with mommy. This is where I get food. Food is good. I like mommy. Right? So we have this natural affection and gratitude. But if we leave their, their natural tendencies unchecked, then pretty soon it becomes not so much, I love mommy, but mommy, gimme. Gimme. I need, I want, you owe me. It reminds me of a story I heard not long ago, and some, I've shared this with many of you. The difference between cats and dogs. Right? You got any dog people? Raise your hand if you're dog people. Raise your hand if you're cat people. I notice that you're not sitting together most of the time. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing. You know, dogs, animals are profoundly spiritual, right? So dogs, they, they look at you and they say, wow, you know, they, my, my, my person, my human here, they feed me and they bathe me and they take care of me. And they love me. They must be God. 
A cat, on the other hand, sees the same thing. It, you feed me, you bathe me, you, you take care of me, you love me. I must be God, right? <laughs> you know Derek is just like that, don't you? The reality of it is that's our tendency. That's what children do when left unchecked. It's that sin nature in us, that desire for self. And it becomes exactly the opposite if we don't discipline our children. The attitudes that we have are a reflection of two things. Our sin nature and what has been done to counteract our sin nature. We need to make sure that we're aware of that. Now, while kids are naturally going to be grateful until that sin nature pushes that away... We have to push it away, right? We have to teach them. As, as parents, we don't want our children to grow up and people see them on the streets and think, man, that child was raised by wolves. It's clearly out of control. We want, as parents, this is the selfish parent part, we want people to see our kids and say, wow, that kid's got together. Those parents did something right. Have you ever heard that? You must have done something right because you got really good kids. By the grace of God, you know, that's, that's the truth. But I love that as a dad. When people come up to me and say, wow, you know, I, I was really impressed with how respectful Gabriel was. I was really impressed. You know, I, I love hearing people talk about how good my kids are at different things. But I don't care about that. I want to care about how their heart is. Amen. You know, your daughter went out of her way to make this lonely child feel special. That, that's the kind of stuff that warms the cockles of my heart. I've been looking for a way to say cockles. As a parent. It, it's exciting. That doesn't happen by accident, does it? You've seen kids that are raised by accident. And that word accident is a pretty good choice. It's like a train wreck. And people get hurt in the process. Listen. We're not fools here. Some of us. Some of us didn't do the job that we needed to do when we were raising our kids. And some of us wear the guilt on our heads. We carry it around with us. Not because we didn't do the job, but because for some reason it didn't seem to take. And we blame ourselves and say, man, I must have totally failed as a parent. Or it would have been different than this. Listen, you can't make your, choice, your child's choices for them. That's why Paul commands children to obey their parents. That child is responsible before God to obey. We are indeed responsible to raise them and to teach them that. But I'm here to set you free today. You can't undo the past. And if you have failed as a parent, Jesus is bigger than that. His grace is more. And he wants you to find yourself in him. And I think maybe God allows us to fail sometimes so that we can find ourselves in his grace. Because if we always had everything go right, if I always did everything right as a parent or as a husband or as a pastor, 
it'd be real easy for me to start to rely on my own strength and get puffed up and think, wow, I really got it together. <laughs> Praise God, I mess up a lot. <laughs> so it keeps me humble. Lose the guilt. Give it to Jesus. If you failed, give it to him. Start today with a new life, a new perspective. Your children may be grown. They may be gone. You can't change that. But you influence those around you right now, today. And you create new children for the Father by the way you live. If you're in the midst of raising children and you've done it wrong, repent. I don't use the word lightly. I'm not, I don't mean that to be some religious churchy kind of word. Repent. Turn around. Change from what you were doing before. If you were doing it wrong, stop. And get a hold of God's word. Dig deep. Pay attention to these sermons. Interact with other people who are walking with him. And raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And guess what? You're still going to blow it. Because you're flawed. And I'm flawed. And I still blow it. And I'm standing up here with all you looking at me like I'm supposed to have this together. <laughs> Ask my wife for kids. I blow it all the time. But I'm not staying there. Don't you stay there either. Let's walk forward. Children must be taught gratitude, respect, and obedience. <clears throat> we recognize that we have a sin nature. Not all children or all attitudes are worth emulating. Because of that sin nature in us, we will, we will naturally veer away from God's will. So children must be taught gratitude, respect, and obedience. A right understanding of authority and submission are first learned at home. Children must be taught gratitude, respect, and obedience. A right understanding of authority and submission are first learned at home. A parent's number one job is to lead their children to Christ. Nothing else really matters by comparison. Notice, your job is not to choose Christ for them. You can't. That's putting a responsibility on yourself that God doesn't put on you. Your job is to lead them. Mothers, fathers, we can extend this out to grandparents, aunts and uncles, influential neighbors, coaches, teachers. Your job, more than anything else, to lead them to Christ. How do I do that? If I can't make the choice for them, how do I do that? Live a life that is consciously seeking Christ. Live a consciously, actively Christ-centered life that reflects Him to your children and to those that you influence. And hold to God's Word even when it's hard. Don't give in to soft feelings. I'm going to take a look at a couple of Proverbs here in a few minutes. That will 
hopefully spark this. There's so much more, but I want to spark this thought in you. Children need discipline. Amen? Somebody say, children need discipline. Children need discipline. discipline. They don't need a ramrod. They don't need somebody riding herd over them, just looking to catch them messing up. They need discipline. That word discipline is the same root from which we get our word disciple. They need someone to teach them how to be a disciple, how to walk in the way of Christ. If all you do is command them, what good is that going to do? They need to see you walk in the way of Christ. If you live by the Spirit, then you will not, for yourself, gratify the desires of the flesh. They're at war with one another. If your children watch you living according to the flesh, the sinful nature, doing things your way instead of God's way, and hear you telling them to live for Jesus, the picture they get is only one of hypocrisy. No child wants to follow a hypocrite. That's true for us too, right? Do you want to follow a hypocrite? Isn't that our complaint a lot of times about our leaders? Is they're hypocrites? They say one thing and do another? Don't be that. We'll talk about embittering your children next week. But but as we do this, we lead them. But leadership involves also standing strong when a line needs to be drawn. It's not always hugging our children. I love hugging my children. Eventually, as they get older, they're like, Dad, stop hugging. That's enough. I'm married now. Just leave me alone. My wife will hug me. I love to hug my children. I love to, to praise my children. I love to, uh, to put my arm around them and tell them how wonderful they are. I was watching Little House on the Prairie the other day. Yes, greatest show on television. And so I was watching Little House on the Prairie the other day, and Almanzo's brother, Royal, sent his kids. You know which one I'm talking about, don't you? <laughs> sent his kids to stay with Laura and Almanzo while they went on a second honeymoon vacation. Stayed the summer with them. Problem. Here's, here's where it gets a little fun. The mom had decided, because she read in a book somewhere, that you should never say no to your children because it will squelch their personality. Those kids had lots of personality, and it needed some squelching, setting things on fire, and you know, just, just tormentors, monsters. Nobody likes those kids. Do you like those kids? Of course you don't. It's really important for us to recognize the importance of teaching our kids to behave. And sometimes they have to hear that super important word, no. Doesn't God tell you no sometimes? Doesn't God sometimes say this far and no farther? Doesn't God say, thou shalt not do these things? But we too often focus just on the warm, fuzzy, love everybody part, and we lose the rest. Now, don't get me wrong, God is love. Jesus said the greatest commands are to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're going to love the Lord your God, you have to love all of God, not just part of God. And he gives us children so that we can learn that. And he makes us children so that we can learn that. Children must be taught gratitude, respect, and obedience. A right understanding of authority and submission are first learned at home. When you see children disrespect teachers, 
Raise your hand if you're a teacher or former teacher or other staff member at schools. Okay? You guys know what that feels like when you see disrespectful children, right? Doesn't it always start with disrespectful parents? Has there ever been a time in human history when that was not the case? Not that the parent is a mirror. Not that the parent is the belligerent one. But when a parent is permissive and allows the sin nature to go unchecked in that child because they don't respect the parents. They don't learn to respect other authorities. Teachers. Police officers. It's really, really important for us to teach this. But it's not important for us to teach it just for the social benefits of which there are many. It's not important for us to teach it because that's what keeps our families together. And because in our old age then, if we teach them right, they can take care of us. This is important. That's not the key part. The key part is they have to learn this concept of submission and authority from us so that they can understand it with God. I'm going to take a look at a couple of verses and then I want to make a very clear point as we go with it. Turn to, to Proverbs. We're just going to spin through that real quick. We're going to start in Proverbs 22, then we're going to back up. If you know where the Psalms are, right in the middle of your Bible, probably, Proverbs are right after that. Proverbs 22.6, this is a verse that is well worth uh, memorizing and well worth preaching. We're not going to preach it today, but we do want to see it. Parents, you have a responsibility as Solomon the wise lays it out for you here. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. You're laying a foundation. You're building a fully grown human. You're building a man and a woman. Boys and girls happen naturally. We need to make men and women. Train them up in the way they should go. Turn to uh, the next page here. 23, verses 13 and 14. Again, there's a responsibility here for us to teach children. And there's a reason for it. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with the rod, he will not die. I'm not suggesting a rod. This is a metaphorical uh, rod that I'm talking about here. I prefer a much wider paddle. Lots of noise. Very intimidating. No bruises. So... Seriously, bruising your kid is bad. Stacy thinks bruising your kid is okay. Okay, everybody say bad, Stacy. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. You like that, Ryan? I got it. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with the rod, he will not die. Punish him with the rod and save his soul from death. This is the point. Even if you beat your child with the rod, again, not endorsing, not recommending. Corporal punishment is important. Maybe beating with a rod is a little over the line. No coat hangers for those of you who are Joan Crawford fans. So as, we're, as we are looking at this concept, the idea behind it is that if we discipline the child, it seems harsh, right? I, I am not exaggerating. I'm not kidding. When I said the first time that I had to spank my oldest son when he was little, I was nauseous. It, it ripped me apart inside. And every time since that I've had to do it, I hate it. And last week I stopped spanking him. So as we're, <laughs> as we're going 
through all of this, the point is not the moment. The point is the bigger picture. You save his soul from death through this action. We turn hearts to God when we teach them discipline. Back up to Proverbs 13, 24. going to just just spend our time looking at uh, Proverbs for a few moments here. Proverbs 13, 24. He who spares the rod hates his son. He who loves him is careful to discipline him. Uh, let me just, because I, I made some jokes, I want to make sure that we're very, very clear about this. Okay, There is a huge, huge difference between discipline and rage. No child I'm going to go out on a limb here. I don't use always and never very, very frequently. I'm going to say there has never been a child rightly disciplined who is abused. Abuse comes when I let my personal stuff take over. When I let my rage take over. When I have let things go too far and I snap. Discipline is thinking for the good of the child. I don't beat my child and abuse my child or belittle my child when I'm thinking of their good and God's glory. I can't. Those things are incompatible. So if I'm going to express the discipline of God to my children, it is harsh sometimes. It is hard it is difficult, and it breaks my heart just as God sending His Son to us broke His heart. If it doesn't break my heart to discipline my child, I'm doing it wrong. If I allow my breaking heart to keep me from disciplining my child, I am doing it wrong. 19, verse 18. Discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. If you fail to discipline your children, you hate them. If you don't love them enough to hurt them when they need that hurting, you don't love them. I'm not saying it. I'm telling you what God's saying. Couple that with the next verse. And I think it's not an accident that Solomon goes from one thought into the next. Sometimes the Proverbs are laid out randomly. But there's a thought process behind it. Discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. A hot-tempered man must pay the penalty. If you rescue him, you will have to do it again. <clears throat> there's a, a twofold connection there. A hot-tempered parent isn't really parenting. Isn't really disciplining. But also, if you allow your child to become a hot-tempered man or woman, and they don't learn to control themselves and discipline themselves, you're going to have to go through it again. And maybe, instead of that spanking they needed in third grade, they end up having to spend some time with the civil authorities doing what you should have done when it was still little. And now it's big. <coughs> 
Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Okay, foolishness. We see folly, that's what we're talking about, foolishness. And foolishness and folly are not just silliness. That's, we, we often think of that in our language, in our day, that foolishness and folly, it's, it's silly, it's lightweight stuff. No, this is a deeper vanity concept. This idea of foolishness in the Proverbs has to do with that which is opposed to God. That which goes its way instead of God's way. Seeks its own desires. Is the opposite of discipline and wisdom. That's foolishness. And it leads to death. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. But the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. This is the responsibility we have as, as parents. 29.15 The rod of correction imparts wisdom. But a child left to himself disgraces his mother. Jump down to 17. Discipline your son and he will give you peace. He will bring delight to your soul. There's so much more for us to go through. We're not going to do that today. But we need to recognize that if we're going to spoil our children, we are setting up roadblocks to them having a life-giving relationship with God. If they don't understand that authority must be obeyed, how will they ever deal with facing a holy God? If they don't recognize that they have a responsibility to obey, which comes from a heart of gratitude and trust, I am grateful for what my parents gave to me. Therefore, it's natural for me to trust them based on who they are and what they have done. Because I trust them with this gratitude, it is natural then for me to obey them, to do as I'm told. If I don't do that, there's a breakdown in the gratitude and trust. Isn't that what happens when we sin against God? God has a plan. And I, either I decide my plan must be better than God's plan, or I thumb my nose at what he has done for me. I don't owe him. God ever done for me. My life is hard. Everything I've gotten, I've gotten from pulling myself up by my own bootstraps. It's my hard work. It's my discipline. That kind of arrogance leads us away from God. When we teach our children discipline, we teach them to obey, they learn gratitude. It's a very interesting dynamic. <clears throat> I heard a story. I'm going to, I'm going to use a, an unauthorized story from Mr. Todd. I heard a story of a, of a teenager who got in trouble on Todd's bus, and it was a real, real handful. Just belligerent, disrespectful, ungrateful. That young man was removed from school transportation and disciplined accordingly. Hateful things were said and thought. But when Mr. Todd was in the hospital with that horrible cancer scare and that young man heard about it, he said, 
Tell him I love him. You see, when we punish our children, when we discipline them, they might hate it in the moment. Didn't you? But they recognize real love. When a real man or a real woman demonstrates that real love with real discipline. And they appreciate it. And they learn gratitude and respect and obedience. And it moves them closer to the heart of God. Now, I want to wrap this up with this thought. Leading our children to Christ involves reflecting Christ to them and giving them a reason to want to obey. Leading our children to Christ involves reflecting Christ to them and giving them a reason to want to obey. As a parent, I must wield the board of education applied to the seat of learning at appropriate times or as I refer to it, the school of hard knocks. That's an important thing. But if that's the only reason my children are obeying, then what happens when I'm not present? What happens when that fear is gone? If your children grow up, grow up being afraid of you, man, you've missed it. You've missed it. But if they love you, if your children have learned gratitude and respect and obedience because they love you and they see Christ reflected in you, then brother, you've got honor for a lifetime. That's when that teenager faced with a temptation where nobody else is around and the party goes a direction they didn't see can make that hard choice to stand because they know who they are. That's when an individual choice for Christ can be made. Because they saw something in mom and dad. And they said, I want that. I want to live like that. Give them a reason to want to obey. Next week we're going to talk about that as we talk about not embittering our children, not exasperating them. Don't harden their hearts. But for now, as we close, just remember, you can't lead someone somewhere you're not going yourself. You can direct them, you can point them, you can command them, but you can't lead them. Let's pray together. Oh, Father God, fitting it is for us to call you Father. How fitting it is for us to be called your children. We thank you for the fact that you discipline those that you love. And you've chosen to discipline us. We are grateful for your rod of correction in our lives. Lord, we're thankful for godly mothers and fathers who have shown us the way and led us down a right path. 
and did not spare us the hardship of punishment, but directed us the right way. Father, I pray for those here in this room who didn't have those parents, who are shown just the opposite through a parent's absence or harshness, instability, unreliability. And Lord, I pray for those who are parenting now that they would teach the necessary lessons of childhood so that their children can learn these essential things for their Christ-centered life. That they would be led. Led to Christ. Not driven. And Lord, I pray for those who are living with regret. <clears throat> the regret of wanting to have children and not being able to. The regret of parenting children in a way that did not lead them toward Christ. Of wishing they had known then what they know now. Or that hollow longing wondering why they weren't able to participate in this. And Lord, I lift each of these hearts up to you that you would heal them and reveal yourself. And that you would move in us to be able to take advantage of every moment, every opportunity as your children to lead others along this path. And Father, remove the obstacles that would keep us from coming back next week so that we can learn more about this Christ-centered family life as we learn to trust our Heavenly Father.